I'm Dr. Megan Corredo, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During today's episode, we will be speaking with Kendra Vanderwater. Kendra, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Sure. So can you start off by telling us a little about who you are? Sure. So um, my name is Kendra. I'm 33 years old. I was raised outside of Philly in the suburbs in Montgomery County. Um, Okay. I was raised by a single mom. I have a brother. My family is adopted. So my mom's adopted. So I have adopted grandparents. And I currently live in Philly now. And, you know, it's been... (laughs) It's been a lot of just different experiences and mm-hmm. being raised by white grandparents and, you know, growing up in white schools and white areas and then being immersed into my own culture and black culture and moving back to the city and mm-hmm. just living life. Okay. Can you tell us about what you do? Yes. Yeah, so I I do a lot of different things, but um, currently I run a homicide initiative at Anti-Violence Partnership of Philadelphia. And so we work to basically make sure that survivors of homicide receive the services that they need, um, culturally relevant services, and have access to some materials that help them after the tragedy of a homicide. And then I also am a co-founder of a youth organization called YEAH, which stands for Youth Empowerment for Advancement Hangout. So basically Mm. with that, we work with teens um, ages 13 and 19, and we utilize teen action to address violence in specific neighborhoods in Philly. Mm. Tell us more about um, what you do with Yeah. Yeah. So we do a whole lot, right? Um, it's It's been, we're pretty new. So me and my partner met doing violence prevention work. And basically we piloted some programming because we started talking to a lot of teenagers and just got the sense that got the consensus that there's really no space for teens to be them be themselves specifically black teenagers and so mm-hmm. we started um, offering programming in rec centers and places in the community that um, are beneficial to teenagers things that they wanted to learn um, we surveyed a lot of them and so it turned into this major, this major thing where we've created a big hangout space and run a lot of groups, but also address immediate needs and provide case management for Black teenagers in West and Southwest Philly. And so we try to utilize their action and elevate their voice and then address violence at the root cause in their neighborhood. So whether it means, you know, they need their cell phone bills paid, their families need groceries, um, they need help getting a license or an ID, we make sure that we try to eliminate every barrier as best as possible because we operate with the belief that we can't address violence unless we address the immediate needs of young people and our people. Mm, mm. And and you're, you said that um, this organization is run by you and a co-founder. Do you have any employees to help you with all this work? Oh, girl, no. <laughs> we, <laughs> we're so new. So, right, we, we started 
we paperwork wise is 2018, but we started implementing things um, in early 2019, February 2019. And so we've we've we have some um, awesome volunteers. Mm-hmm. But even then, the need, like, we have grown well beyond our capacity and the needs are really, really great. So we're taking the time now to focus on being able to hire staff and being able to sustain the stuff that we're doing. But we mm-hmm. really don't have employees yet. You know, we're as a new nonprofit, you don't qualify for certain funds that usually come along with being able to hire staff. So Mm. we are on a mission now applying for larger funds. We've been able to obtain contracts early on and we're just building our portfolio to make sure that we're able to hire a team and be able to serve the teenagers like they deserve. Wow, that's really incredible. So you so you're facilitating groups or running groups. You're also there's also this advocacy piece where you're supporting teens and identifying their own needs in their community and supporting them and advocating for them. And then you're also identifying uh, ways collectively with them to meet like physical concrete needs as well, all while you are um, trying to like transform, support them as they transform their communities and address violence. Um, That's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. And that's exactly what we do. And I think, you know, a lot of times we try to, the way we address violence, you know, as a city or as organizations, it's not, it's not always cultural. And then we don't want to address, we don't really want to be in the streets addressing like what's really happening. So a lot of our approach is that we try to make sure we're as innovative as possible, but also make sure that we're in the streets talking to young people in terms of what they think we should be doing. And then we mm-hmm. take what they say that they need and we implement that on, you know, as best as we can. Wow. That that is such a transformative approach, especially given uh, the fact that so many things are like imposed on young people as opposed to saying you tell us what you need and we'll support you um, in obtaining what you need. That's a really like revolutionary perspective when working with youth. Exactly. That's I mean, we really are. We are teen led like all the way to the core. And so that's an important philosophy. And a lot of people ask us, you know, we've to date, we've engaged probably over 257 teenagers. And so we don't like, we don't want to tell everyone that we exist just because it's, it's getting so big and we don't, it's not fair if we can't help everyone as best as possible, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's a, there's a need and, and we hear a lot, like, you know, there's no place for, there's no place for me. Like I can't go somewhere else and, and be myself or I'm not allowed to be in here because I have an ankle bracelet or because I have a certain background. So at yeah, we make sure that it doesn't matter what your background is. We make sure that whatever you need and whatever assessment we do, it's based off of how do we get you to get the life that you deserve and what mm-hmm. do we need to do to help you achieve that? Mm. Um, do you want to take a couple moments to kind of share how you got into this space? Yeah, definitely. So um, growing up, I went to North Penn High School in Montgomery County. And so I had an experience when I was 16. I was in 11th grade. Um, I was in Philly at a friend's birthday party. And I had um, come in contact with the police. It was Mm. like 12.03, I remember. Wow. And when you're young, you have a curfew. 
And so I got, I was waiting outside for my mom after a party and the police pulled up. My friends were at Checkers. We were at Broad and Gerard. Um, and I was on my phone waiting for my mom to come get me. So the police pulled up to me and they were saying that, you know, it's past curfew. I can't be out here and I have to go to the station. So I had said, okay, cool. Let me just call my mom because she's on her way. Um, she should be here in the next 15 minutes. So mm -hmm. the police got out the car and they were telling me that I can't call my mom. I just need to get in the car and shut up and all this stuff. So I was confused because I'm like, well, I'm just trying to call my mom. Mm -hmm. so, and you were a child. Yep. I was a child. So I ended up um, getting my cell phone kicked out of my hands by a cop. And then next thing I know, I'm on the ground being beat up by the police. Wow. And so I ended up, my friends were over there at Checkers. They were, the police were telling them they need to stay back and be quiet. Um, they called more cops. I was getting kicked. I was getting beat on the ground. And this was in the winter. So wow. um, I ended up going to, back then it was called the Youth Study Center. So I ended up going to Juvenile Detention Center. I had to go through that whole process. But being in the juvenile detention center was the one experience that has created my whole career trajectory and path since a teenager. Wow. So I was there. Um, I, you know, I had never been in trouble. I was a good student. I, you know, I had tons of friends. I did, you know, whatever. But mm -hmm. so I, in there, the people that I encountered, I was, it made me sad and I was confused. Like we had to take this admissions test and it was like basic math and basic reading. You have to take it, you know, the next day. And I remember I was done really quick. And the woman mm -hmm. had told me, she was like, you need to stop playing games. Like this test is serious. You need to sit down and finish this test. And I was like, I'm done this test. So she mm -hmm. was like, it's not possible. You can't be done. Wow. It was, it was, you know, it was basic, like fill in the blank. And the sentence would be like, he blank over the log. Like he ran, he runned, he, so it was just like different verb tenses. And mm -hmm. so. And she assumed that you weren't able to do that. Exactly. She assumed that. And so I encountered a lot of teenagers in there who were in there for things like, you know, they stabbed their grandmother or they killed an animal. And some people were in there for over a year. And some of them were like 21. Some of them were my age, 16. Some of them were younger. But mm -hmm. the whole experience that there were kids who looked like me and they weren't able to read. Um, they didn't really have any family and they didn't really have any support while they were in there. It was just like, I don't understand why this is happening. And mm -hmm. so for me, that was a moment that it was like, this is unfair. This is not what it should be. And so when I had went through that process, I had started volunteering there when I had left. And I wow. wasn't there for a long time. I was there for probably like five, six days. Okay. But I they was kept you five or six days for for uh, me, waiting yep. for your waiting for your caregiver to come and pick you up? Oh, not even then. You had to go you still had to go through the court process. Then it was like when you get when you get arrested on a Friday night, you automatically sit there till Monday. Wow. And then you have to wait and go through like your, there were like video court conferencing. And then I had mm -hmm. to go in person to court. But then because I had lived in Montgomery County, it took even longer. 
Wow. So, and you know, my mom never knew what to do. Um, it was, it was just a, a time in my life that a lot of people don't know what to do when you go through the system. Mm. So when I think back on it as an adult, like one, I should have sued the city. I probably wouldn't even be working right now, but mm. <laughs> two, it was just so traumatic and there was really like limited support there. Mm, I can't so, imagine. Yeah. So when, so when we come in contact with young people who go through the system, no matter where they are in that system, we try to make sure that they have some type of support. They always have some advocacy because there are things that families can do that they usually don't know that they have rights to. Right. So that experience is what like kickstarted everything that I do now. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, of course. I find too that um, when, when people have a personal real experience with something and then use that to propel um their program or their intervention or their action it makes it so much more real and authentic and connected uh-huh it's definitely definitely does a lot of people so like you know i speak proper english i i wear like blazers and whatever so people mm-hmm. like look at me and be like oh you know, like people will be like, oh, you ride public transportation or like they'll make these assumptions about me. And then when they start to learn like who I am and what I come from, they're like, oh, like, wow, you really been through like a lot and mm-hmm. you're very authentic. And I and I, I feel that being authentic is one of the most important things that you can be just in life and just in this work. And it is mm-hmm. you have you have to do it. Right. And then people can also sense very quickly and very easily when you're not being authentic. Yep. Yep. People always know, especially young people. They know. Right. (laughs) They will call you out in a minute and you're like, (laughs) oh, oops. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So we know that every individual, every community, every system has a story and every story includes both adversity and strength. So you've already talked to us a little bit about um, some of the adversity that you faced. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add about adversities that you have faced. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just being Black one, being Mm -hmm. a Black woman, um, I I think, especially in this work, like in this field, a lot of times it's very dominated by men. So I Mm -hmm. work, you know, I'm a social worker, but my work is a lot, a lot on the policy level. And so working like, within government systems or the criminal justice system, like I'm usually working alongside lawyers. So most people just assume that I'm a lawyer one, but being in these spaces where it's male dominated and it's also, you know, it, we don't have that many black people and people of color, like in these same spaces. Mm -hmm. So just being in those spaces is a huge challenge because a lot of times you're dismissed because you're a woman you know, people right. don't listen to you because you're a black woman or anything you say, you know, it, there's a problem with, you know, speaking out or if if a guy says the same thing that I say, it's usually the amazing idea of the man next to me. But mm. you know, I've been saying the same thing for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so it's it's kind of like we're in these oppressive spaces and systems. But also, I think just by like finding your own path and building your confidence and making sure that you create your own lane. Mm -hmm. Like 
doesn't matter. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter what people think of you when you, you know, you build a portfolio or you have built yourself to the point of, you know, I know my expertise, I know my work. And so it's always an adversity every single day in these spaces. But at the same time, I think it's a great triumph as well, because Mm. we've gotten to these places and I can say I've gotten to a place where I can advocate and and for anybody I want to, I can pretty much do the things that I want to. Mm-hmm. And I've created these connections with people and just have a background where I can connect to the community, but also have connections to the people in power. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to bring information back or be a liaison or just make sure that people are able to get what they need. I know it must have also taken a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of... Um frustrations, and also a lot of triumphs to even get to that point too, where you're able to um, be a liaison and to also have a voice in both spaces. Yes. Yes. It's exhaust. Every, it, it is exhausting. It is, it's a lot of work. And I think we underestimate um, how much skill it really does take just working with people mm-hmm. or communicating with people. And so I, I think that that, I think that's what puts us into a lot of these predicaments just as society is that, you know, we don't know how to communicate with people. We don't have those interpersonal skills or those communication skills that people need. And a lot of times that's usually what it takes to resolve problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you share a few important positive moments or turning points in your story? Of course. So I think um, there's been a lot of positivity I think just even my my um, my transition from direct care to a more policy level realm mm-hmm. has been a great turning point and positive moment. And I think that I've gotten to a place where I'm able to inspire a whole lot of younger people, but also Black people and people of color. And I'm mm-hmm. able to be that person that gives people a push because a lot of times people are fearful of, you know, different things and we can get in our own way of our own success. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think a big positive moment for me was when I did um, my internship at the White House, my okay. graduate school internship. And so that that experience changed a whole lot just in my thought process and in my learning. But it's been that experience that has showed me that I can inspire people in different ways mm-hmm. and that we all don't need to be doing the same things. Right. And people may seem like, you know, they may not understand what you're doing or they, they may not get it, but it doesn't mean that you give up on it or that you stop. Mm-hmm. And so I come in contact with a lot of people who are like, well, you're so young. Like, how do you do all of this stuff? And it's, it's really about, that learning shift. Mm -hmm. And so meeting people like that's been such a positive moment Mm -hmm. is meeting different people and putting yourself in different spaces and then giving people that leg up, you Mm -hmm. know, and giving people those opportunities that probably would not have those opportunities if you were not in the position to help them. Right. So it sounds like you you had your own journey to finding your voice um, in, in this profession, in this space. And then once you figured out how to have your own voice, um, a voice that's compelling, a voice that's heard, a voice that can be um, 
listened to in various spaces, then you've used your voice to open up space for others' voices. Definitely. That's exactly what it's about. And, you know, there's too many of our people who we've got so many awesome skills and we just don't give people enough opportunity. Mm. And I think about the people who, you know, they've become successful, but a lot of times it's, yeah, well, you know, I, I'm tired. I don't want to worry about that. I'm just trying to do me. And for me, I feel like I have a duty to inspire people. I have a duty to give people opportunities where I can. And so I'm just trying to do that on such a large scale that eventually, you know, people will be like, yes, I had this opportunity and this has changed my life because mm-hmm. I know that me me getting certain opportunities also changed my life. Right. And then also thinking about um, in the realm of trauma, we know that part of um, experiences of trauma can leave us voiceless. They can leave us speechless. And part of the healing process is being able to find our voice um, mm-hmm. as an individual, but also collectively as a community. Um, and it sounds like the work that you're doing also um, empowers and supports youth in finding their own voice, even as you are, are, are also using your own. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, we silence people a lot and most people in their healing process, they just want to be heard because nobody, nobody listens to them. So even just you taking a small amount of time to just listen to people like that changes people's lives Mm -hmm. and people will always remember like the time that they had something to say or they wanted to share something, but were scared, but felt like they couldn't because they were being silenced. Mm-hmm. But then they'll remember that time that one person that they said, oh, man, they listened to me. Right. And that's all I really wanted. Right. Right. Voice is such a powerful thing. Um, it's really powerful and overwhelming when it's taken from you. And it's really um, empowering and rehumanizing when when you're able to use it. Mm hmm. Yep. And I think we get so caught up in collectively like policing how people say something mm-hmm. or or policing like, oh, they don't they don't look a certain way, so we don't want to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying like, you know, trying to get the point. We always miss the point. Right. So I think I'm very adamant about it doesn't matter who you are. If you have something that you need to say or you feel that you're not being heard, I want to help as much as possible make sure that you are able to get what you need to say out. Absolutely. So what do you see for yourself in the future? What's your vision? Oh, world domination. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. No. Go for it. Um, <laughs> no, I definitely, so I definitely uh, consider running for some type of elected office. Okay. In the future. Um, I'm very, I'm very big on trying to get social workers or more people connected to the ground in political positions. Mm. Cause I think that we have a different perspective and I think we have a more holistic perspective. And I think, you know, people from the ground also have a better understanding of what's really happening in comparison to what, what is said on paper or in policy. So right. I definitely consider running for office. Um, and I see Like I see, yeah, Philly being a model for across the country. And I see eventually when we have capacity, like I see some big things in terms of 
how do we create our own communities that have our own doctors and nurses mm. and therapists? And how do we create these places for our people to have access to whatever they need mm-hmm. without without being involved in harmful systems? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also being able to um, identify ways that people can heal themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Because we, I think we, we forget how much power we have as people. And sometimes we just need, it just takes a certain space to be in. So it's a big, I'm big on environment. And I think people thrive in the right environment. And so I see a community where Black people has access to whatever they need to live the life that they want and that they deserve. And I think that EF Philly can be a huge, I, I think that we can create that long term. I'm really excited to see how things grow and evolve and um, continue to transform individuals and communities. Thank you. So any are there any favorite or life-changing resources that you want to share with listeners? Resources, resources. I don't know. It could be a link. It could be a particular book or um, a theory, anything that sticks out to you as being really important. Man, I look, my book list is super long. I Okay. <laughs> I read a lot and I read a lot around just social justice things. Um so I think even now like there's 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 books around black history that I think we've been getting young people to try to read. And so I think now is the time too, where people are trying to start understanding um, better things. Like I would definitely recommend um, Miseducation of the Negro. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fire Next Time by James Baldwin is one of my favorite books. Okay. And yeah, I think even just... Like I take it back to people who who stood out and who, you know, weren't always seen as the status quo. Mm-hmm. And their vision may have been different than what was going on in the masses at the time with the masses at the time. Mm-hmm. And so those those two books are probably some of my favorite. And then even just like advice, right? Being always trying to be a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that we don't step in our own way of being successful right. and defining defining ourselves what success means for us. Mm. Like a lot of people will say, oh, well, all you do is work or like, don't you want to go back to a time when you were younger? No, I do not. I like <laughs> my life the way it is. I, I created my life to be this way and I'm happy in my life the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, I could work a little less, but like, I love the things that I do. And I think just making sure that we also understand, you know, who we are as black people. Mm-hmm. I think now is a, is a, is time more than ever. Like mm-hmm. we're having a shift in what's happening right now with black people. And I think making sure that we know what we want, we know what we deserve and how do we get that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you want to share with our audience? No, I think that's it. I mean, I I would I would definitely encourage y'all to follow Yeah Philly on Instagram. Mm-hmm. 
We are at Y-E-A-H Philly. Um, we have a very large following of teens. We do some really awesome things. And I hope that if people want to connect or, you know, even if you have a question or need support with anything, I hope that people reach out. Thank you for listening to Real Stories. The resources referenced by today's guest speaker will be included in the episode description. For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corredo, and my work with the story's trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website, www.storiesguide.com. Also, feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there is always a story of strength and resilience.